0: This is Dan Martin of Market and Feasibility Advisors in Chicago, Illinois. Today, I have some excellent guests, uh, two gentlemen who have been interpreting America's coastline for the rest of us. Um, And uh, let's do the basics. Uh, Michael Merkinate of Main Street Design in Boston. Uh, Michael, I've known you for a while. I'm just meeting your associate. And uh, if you and your associate would like to uh, introduce yourselves.
1: Sure. Hi, Dan. Um, Main Street Design is our company, and we're both um principals of the company. I'm Michael Mercadante, and with me is... I'm
2: Tavor Uh I,
0: I have been talking to Michael, and this is how this came to pass. I was talking to Michael about uh, aquariums and visitor centers, uh, things that uh, interpret uh, America's coastline. And uh, and he mentioned that you folks had done some work for uh, the national, and I, and I hope I get this word right, estuar- Estuarian research reserve system. And that NERS, N-E-R-R-S, is a network of 28 protected areas. And they're established by partnerships between the US government's uh, NOAA, uh, National a- Ocean and Atmospheric Administration, and the coastal states where these uh, reserves are located. I think altogether, it's like 1.3 million acres of uh, coastal and uh, estuary habitats are being preserved now for long-term research, water quality, monitoring, education, and just in general, coastal stewardship for the United States, um, as might be expected, they are in a lot of the parts of America's coastline, the East Coast and the Gulf, uh, where there are a lot of uh, tourism facilities and where there's a lot of visitors or adjacent to that. Um, and uh, let me ask you, uh, uh, Michael, uh, you guys about uh, about your work.
1: Sure, Dan. Um, you're right. We have, over the 28 years of our company, done a lot of uh, interpretation of environmental sites and that varies from, as you said, zoos and aquariums to national parks, research centers and nature centers. But we have worked on three National Estuarine Research Reserves. The first one we worked on was on Cape Cod in Mashpee at the Waquite Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve. And then we moved down to um, the west coast of Florida and worked at Rookery Bay and most recently in Wells, Maine. So three of the many um, NERR reserves around the country.
2: And Dan, you're not the only one that has trouble with that word. Um, When we were working at Waquoit Bay, they liked to tell a story that people would drive down their driveway and wonder where the horses were uh, because they (laughs) thought it was an equestrian reserve and not an estuarine reserve. Um, And and you're also absolutely right to note that these places tend to be located in areas that are already popular recreational tourism destinations because, as you know, Americans tend to like to be on the coast. So they have a really interesting mission, which is that they're involved with understanding, researching, and proactively protecting the tidal zone, the coastlines, um, but at the same time, they are, in fact, recreational resources on their own. Most of the people who come to these places don't come to learn about estuarine research. They come to walk and, and bird and botanize on the coast.
0: You, you know, I could, I could easily see that situation where people might think that there are horses there, because I think of coastal islands like Assateague or uh, Downland, on uh, Nags Head in that area where there are some wild horses that uh, populate coastal islands. Um, so that, 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 that would be sort of understanding, but understandable. But, but I think, I think you're, you, you, you know, one thing that I've always thought about is I always thought of estuary, which for some reason I have no trouble pronouncing, uh, estuaries are where, uh, rivers are the portion of rivers that are somewhat tidal from when they come into the ocean that the tides go up the, uh, uh, the, uh, the rivers a ways like, uh, you see in the Hudson River, uh, where, uh, where the tides can almost reach Albany, I think. Uh, and that means that the water is, is a different kind of a habitat, a mix of salt and, uh, and, and fresh water. Um, are, are these areas uh, really about that notion that there are rivers that come into these NAR, uh system reserves and, and, that's, and that's what's going on, that it's an interesting sort of hybrid of, uh, of both types of populations of critters and, and and life
2: well it's a little it's a little bit more broad than that they're interested in the intertidal zone so you're correct in that they deal with the parts of the ecosystem where salt and freshwater mix it's not always a major river like the Hudson uh, although some of them are located at, at river Deltas um, but they're absolutely focused on the on, on coastal issues um, the, 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 where the human land-based activities engage uh, the, the ocean and where they, uh, the human land-based activities extend out into the ocean. So if you think about it, the, t- the intertidal zone, when we walk on a beach, that's the, that's the place where land and sea connect and that's the place where people connect to oceans. Uh, so there's a, a, a lot of the focus educationally is on preserving and protecting the natural resources in these areas because they're the first place that get impacted um, by some of our less than positive behaviors on land.
0: Now, some, some of the uh, activities you mentioned, like birding, um, would, would naturally draw people to uh, some of the flyways along the coastal areas, um, like the ones that I'm guessing you guys have worked in but uh but but i wonder if if people just like coming to these areas because of the sort of different vibe the tranquility The is is there something about the kinds of areas that these NERRS uh, reserves are that draws people
2: well they're they're by and large they're really really beautiful um and they're located in places uh that you know of great as you said in your intro dan great Uh, significance environmentally and and scenic values. Um, And and I do think, you know, we're in the business of interpretation and and on some level education. One of the things that, you know, we wrestle with in these facilities is that the guest population, by and large, does not come into the the, the facilities or the sites um, expecting to learn. They come in expecting to recreate. Uh, and, and one of the things we have to figure out how to do is communicate with them in a way that's engaging and accessible, um, but frankly doesn't interfere or interrupt their recreational experience.
1: We like to say that we get that educational message in under the radar so that we're not <laughs> interrupting their recreational opportunity.
0: Well, that, that's a really good point because nobody goes to an outdoor destination to go indoors. Um, uh, so, 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 uh, so how do you draw people indoors? Uh, or do you just have a sign that says really clean restrooms?
2: Well, it's it, interesting. Everyone will come indoors for the restrooms. They will come indoors or, or up to the building for the drinking fountains. Um, years ago, well, quite a long time ago now, we did a project at MacArthur Beach State Park um, on Singer Island just uh, in North Palm Beach in Florida. And um, there was a very, very long boardwalk crossing the estuary to the Barrier Island Beach. Everyone that came to the park was on their way to the beach, toting a cooler and three kids. So we put a shade structure on the boardwalk right before you got to the estuary and everyone stopped because shade's really popular in hot South Florida. Uh, and, And we were able to do some baseline communication as people moved across to the estuary and the dune line. Um, Which they frankly wouldn't have stopped for if we hadn't put that little piece of shade there.
0: Well, you know, that that raises kind of an interesting question because, you know, we're trying to preserve these areas um, so that they are uh, biologically or whatever the term is, ecologically consistent for the next generation and ones after that. Um, But is it important to try to explain to people why these areas are special? Or, or is it, or is it enough for people to come appreciate the fact that they're there and still intact?
2: Well, I, I don't think that's an either-or question. Um, I, we, we would argue that yes, it's important to explain why they're why they're valuable ecologically, what ecological services they provide. Um, but, it, but it's equally valid for folks to to be to get visual and aesthetic and you know, psychological pleasure out of being in a calm, beautiful place, as you said. I mean, I, I think what's happening now in in all nature-focused interpretation, whether it's a zoo and aquarium or a nature center or a natural history museum, is we've sort of shifted away from saying that we're going to isolate nature and keep it sa- safe by keeping people out of it. The, the, the goal now is to figure out how people can be in nature in a respectful way and how we can preserve these places and human activities. Um, so it's, it's a little bit more subtle message than, you know, we used to say, if, if we just stay out of it, it'll be fine. I think what we've come to understand now culturally is that we're not gonna stay out of it. We're in the picture, we're in nature. And, and that's a lot of what they're teaching in their programs and their exhibits at these, these facilities.
0: So in, in, you know, if you go back 50 years or so, we would have said, uh, uh, oh, I know what kind of tree it is. That tree is a pine tree or that one's a spruce. And thereby, by naming the trees, somehow we believe we understand them. But, yeah. but, but that, that is sort of an ownership approach where we believe that we own and control nature. What you're describing is an approach where we want to we want people to realize um, that they are a part of nature, and that and and that their consequences, their actions, their very being there um, is 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 a, is an expression of that part of nature. Uh, and therefore, why don't you learn more about it while you're here?
2: Well, that's exactly so. And 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 even if they don't learn, you know, we don't expect everyone to sit still and read. Um, the hope is that they'll go away with a different perspective on their role in the natural world. So we did a project at the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach several years ago, um, which was a a large wet play experience that explored and interpreted the the, uh, San Pedro Bay watershed, the Los Angeles River watershed running down the Pacific. And the director of the aquarium, Jerry Schubel, would say that we could solve the problem of uh, overtaxing that watershed by eliminating ten or fifteen million people who live in Southern California, but that was unlikely. So what we had to do is figure out a way to educate them to live more uh, in, 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 a, in a more uh, balanced way in their watershed.
0: Is is do you have a sense as to what percentage of the visitors to these uh, uh, to these reserves actually do go into the um, learning facilities? Or, or do do sort of ambush them with signs throughout, or, or little places. How do you how do you actually interact, or how do you bring the knowledge to people, or the information, I guess.
1: Most of what we do is not necessarily indoors, particularly in a, a environmental setting. You know, we've worked at the National Park Service at Zion National Park, where none of our exhibits were indoors. It was all exterior um, orientation and. Um, a little bit of cultural and a lot of natural history information. So we give it to the visitors as they're experiencing the location. So it's not all about getting them indoors, although a lot of them will stop in a visitor center to get oriented to the location, particularly if they've never been there before. But we try to integrate our interpretation into every aspect of a project. So on boardwalks, um, uh, in landscape, you know, part of architectural elements, and it's not all about exhibits in visitor centers.
0: So so the net result is that it's an integrated experience. It's you're enhancing people's experience of going to the facility. Exactly. Absolutely.
2: And and we don't draw a distinction, or, or certainly not um, a conflict between recreation and education. Um, our, our philosophy, at least in our firm, and I think it's true for most of our peers is that you can, you can be educated and have a good time simultaneously. Now, my 15-year-old doesn't necessarily believe that. Um, but I, th- I think that's the goal of the kind of informal education that we're providing with these facilities.
0: Hmm. Um, is, is, you know, the 15-year-old point makes a point to me, and that is, how do you, how do you know what level to pitch to the information or the, uh, or the explanations of what people are saying.
2: It's an interesting question, and and I was I saw I was thinking about it before this discussion. Um, that used to be, frankly, much more of a problem than it is now. Years ago, when we first started at this work, um, the the subject matter experts, the curators, the staff scientists at these facilities would would want us to put encyclopedias on the wall, would want us to put doctoral feces on the wall, um, and and we would have to fight them tooth and nail uh, to to get it down to something that was digestible for the public. We're, we're, not, we're not seeing that as much anymore. We're seeing, maybe it's just the age of bite-sized information generally, but our clients are not pushing us as much as they used to, to do that. Uh, I mentioned Jerry Schubel at the Aquarium of the Pacific. Um, he, he had a great line. He, he said that he'd be happy if his guests went away knowing that a watershed wasn't a building with pumps in it.
0: Sounds good. Now it's 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 it is you 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 take the wind you can get. Um, is is there a uh, is there any sort of way to measure um, what impact you do have on visitors uh, for you know what knowledge they walk away with?
1: I mean, there's ways to measure using using evaluation techniques, but in reality, what you want to measure in this instance with um, natural environments is to see if they're um, doing things at home that have changed their behaviors?
2: So you are trying to measure action, not attitude, uh, particularly around environmental issues. And what we've been finding in in the industry generally, not just us, is that the more immediate the action is, the more likely it is to happen. So if you want someone to go home and write their congressperson, um, there's a pretty fair gap between their experience at the zoo or aquarium or nature center um, and sitting down at their computer and texting their congressperson. Um, but if you can enable them to make that ask, that pitch right there at the exhibit at that moment somehow, uh, and they sometimes do it with staff programmers who come in and, and engage the guests, um, then there's a much greater likelihood that they'll, they'll make the change. Long-term behavioral change uh, is hard to track and, um, and, and, and even harder to sustain. So. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that, the, that particularly the zoo and aquarium world is wrestling with. They, they are positioning themselves as conservation organizations and change agents in terms of their guests' behaviors and activities. Um, but, boy, it's hard to, you know, make sure that people ride their bicycle to work five days a week, not just one.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess uh, I think, too, of all of the stuff that I receive online that asks me to, you know, first of all, it always asks me for money. But then it also asks me to you know vote or to send something to a congressman or some political uh, level that, uh, that that change can be affected at. Um, wow. and 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 I, I guess I guess there's almost sort of a subtle way that you might approach that in terms of you know encouraging people to do one thing as they as they leave the parking lot. but but that begins to put you in the position of of not necessarily, Uh, Of of telling people what to do as opposed to helping them better understand their world, so that's almost a different, almost a different objective.
2: Well, you know, again, this is something that the natural history museums in particular have struggled with. Um, We used to be in the business of explaining everything. That was before you could Google it. Now we're really, honestly, in the business of inspiring and provoking. So if we can get a kid interested in that mucky wetland that they thought was just brown and nasty before they came to the, guest, to the visitor center, then they can learn more about that on their own than we could ever possibly teach them in an ex- exhibition setting. Um, so the, the goal, I think, for what most of us are doing nowadays is to inspire and enable our guests to go deeper on their own, not to try to give them an education on the spot.
0: That's a really interesting point because we are surrounded by so many inputs and potential inputs. Um, I, I, you know, I have uh, two young children and I can tell you that the way I approach uh, answering their questions is very different than it was with their older siblings uh, who are in their twenties. Because you know, now I just turn to the phone and I say, I ask Google, "What do you think?" When I have when it's a time to answer a question, and you know, if you have Alexa or something like that. So really, it's interesting that what you're trying to do. Is to is to be in the moment with them, where when they are there at this beautiful spot, and help them better appreciate and understand that the beauty of the spot, but a little of what's going on, but to do it so that they become bought in enough that when they get back in the car, um, they're given a Alexa a workout on their way home, uh, trying to learn more.
2: Yeah, and also again, you know, doesn't hurt to aim high. We hope that they will um, over time. Uh, begin to adopt behaviors that are more sustainable uh, because they care about that resource. So, you know, on some level what we're doing is absolutely dead simple. It's like walking on a nature trail with a really, you know, experienced companion who can lean over your shoulder and go, hey, look at that. Uh, You know, we don't notice things if we don't know they're there. So a lot of what we're doing on the interpretive side, frankly, is helping people notice things they wouldn't otherwise see. If, if if they learn a little bit about them so much, the better. And if they're inspired to act on their behalf, you know, then that's a solid win, I think, on, on our end.
0: Are, are there any times you've done things like that, that, you know, have slowed down or drawn the attention of visitors that you that you really feel as if you've really been effective? Is there is there are there you know, describe a few of the places you've worked and what what you've done that you really like about what you did there? Well, there's always
1: ways to draw people's attention, whether with you know viewing scopes or magnifying glasses or some way just to get them to focus in on something, uh, in a in a larger, big picture environment, and you know, it can be done with um, three dimensional elements as opposed to just a, a graphic panel or a sign that's directing them to something. Any specific? Well,
2: play, you know, play is our friend. Um, if, if 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 we can engage people in doing something that they're having fun doing and they learn while they're doing it, um, then we have a much higher likelihood of having a positive impact. So, you know, when we were charged by the aquarium of the Pacific to come up with a way to explain this incredibly complex urban watershed, um, totally paved over for all practical purposes in greater Los Angeles and Southern California. Um, we, we we ended up, you know, with almost no graphic panels at all. We ended up with a very large, um, solid surface, wet map of the watershed. The kids were invited to create rain by essentially turning on shower heads above the model, the water poured onto the model. And you could see right away that the paved sections, the impervious sections, the water ran straight down to the bay at the bottom. And the pervious sections, it filtered down into the groundwater. There was the, the, the teaching experience was not didactic in the least. The kids got wet and screamed and howled at each other. Uh, and, and they came away with an understanding as they drove by the Los Angeles River, which is basically a culvert, um that we had changed that river from being something that absorbed to something that sluiced water down to the coastline. Um, so, you know, the guest experience was pure fun. They might as well have been at a water park, but there was a message embedded in that fun
0: yeah I, i've I've always been a big fan of water tables, <laughs> and uh, in particular, there are some that i've I've seen that have a uh, some kind of a heavy sand in them so that you can move that sand around. And it's not your standard, you know, put together uh, a bunch of magnetic, magnetized blocks and try to, you know, run it down. Uh, or, or like the one, for example, at the old one at Boston Children's uh, where you were doing a, some version of a fourth point channel, which is just yeah. outside the window. It, 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 you know, that's I, I think that's sort of visceral getting yourself wet. Um, is is always a great way to do it. Now I think in your case your description, they don't have to get what to, to get the point. but um, yeah. but you know if you don't mind talking about that whole notion of play because I, I think that idea of introducing play into the kinds of experiences that you're talking about animating um, is, is is really important because um, because I, I think you're actually helping people, you know create uh, you know much richer memories because they have richer sensory experiences and because what they're doing is is, uh, is is not what they were doing the day before or what they'll do the next day in other words it's a really distinctive experience.
1: Dan a few years a, a few years ago we did a new children's zoo here in Boston at Franklin Park and the whole concept of play was um, divided into four different uh, natural neighborhoods. It's called Nature's Neighborhoods. And the idea was to bring nature to inner city children and get them to understand what the differences are between, you know, a grassland, a wetland, a thicket, a forest, mm-hmm. woodlands, and um, very few animals. But the whole idea was to get kids to emulate and play and uh, adventure um, like. Uh, their natural counterparts so they could climb bamboo poles just like the red pandas that were in the adjacent uh, habitat and they could uh, climb up to an oversized eagles nest and peer down at um, you know the eagles prey that was in the adjacent uh, grasslands maze they could climb into the prairie dog uh, underground uh, habitat and just understand that there's a whole environment that they have to live in harmony with.
2: And, you know, I mean, it's the first maxim of of any sort of uh, hospitality experience is to know who your audience is. Um, Certainly in a zoo or aquarium setting and almost all nature centers, uh, the target audience is 12 and under um, with their adult caregivers who are basically pushing the strollers and driving the cars. Um, so we're, we're first and foremost charged with creating experiences for those kids. Um, they then teach their parents and aunts and uncles, uh, quite often. So it is a little bit different at, for instance, an an Audubon facility where we've done a bunch of work at, at, Audubon nature centers, where there's a cohort of very serious and experienced birders, um, who, who, who come with a, with a rather sophisticated knowledge of the environment. Um, but even in those places, we're seeing, you know, by and large, family groups come in for the recreational experience. The birders go right past the nature center. They fire out onto the trails with their long lenses. Well,
0: you're, you're, actually, you're actually, you know, extending the notion. I was thinking about, uh, uh, you know, you, you the, the ringmaster of trying to inspire people to dig deeper into where they are uh, in viscerally and sensory. But you're, you're introducing there the notion of people engaging with others in their travel party. In that you know the children are actually trying to draw the adults in because the children are having fun, and uh, and and they want the adults to the approval and the and the engagement. Um, is it is it going to be more difficult uh, for something like a like an NERR facility because um, I'm going to guess there are fewer children there and it's more parties of adults. And
2: uh, am I right about that? Well, as it as i said there is um you know certainly for the audubon facilities and some of the estuarine research reserves um they have some serious naturalists botanists birders coming but that's not the bulk of their audience the bulk of their audience are people who are looking for a recreational opportunity and you know this is where we started with this conversation you talked about the character of these places you know, these are often some of the most beautiful places on the coast and they're accessible to the public. Um, So so if I'm a family, if I have two little kids uh, and I want to take a walk, that's where I'm going to go. So while there is an expert audience, that is not the primary audience. The primary audience is the general public and, and often families with kids.
0: It, is it, are, we in, are we in a time when people are afraid of the outdoors at all?
2: Well, there's certainly a, a school of thought that believes that. And as we become more suburbanized and urbanized, there's there's evidence to that effect. Um, at the same time, you know, you talked about it a moment ago, the amount of information people are able to get, um, you know, leads them to be willing to go out into the outdoors. And, and, and sometimes, honestly... Um, you know, to, to their own danger. Um, there are a lot of people who, you know, look online and think they know how to go hiking and head up Mount Washington in a t-shirt and flip flops um, and, and wind up in a late summer snowstorm. Uh, so I, I, while the, the whole notion of nature deficit disorder is certainly true uh, and valid for kids, I, I also think there's a way in which the information age is making the outdoors more accessible.
0: Uh, that so so that that's interesting. You're you're saying that we can have more of an engagement with the outdoors and a more knowledgeable engagement because of because of the information world that we live in right now.
2: Well, I'll tell you a story on myself. I, I went to years ago, about five years ago, more than that now, probably ten. We went to Zion National Park with my family to camp for ten days, um, and and Main Street Design did the visitor center at Zion National Park, and I thought I knew as much as there was to know about that national park. My son brought his phone with a Zion Quest app on it. And every single trail we walked on, he told me something I didn't know. Uh, And I came away thinking, this is a tool that we can use, not something that interferes necessarily with the outdoors experience.
0: Do you you find yourselves trying to inspire people to go online as they're moving through one of these uh, NARR spaces or any of the other spaces you're talking about? I, I know that when, when I, I brought my family to, uh, to attractions, sometimes ahead of going to the attraction, I'll download their app, and their app will give me lots of information as I move through the attraction. Is, is, do, you, do you seek to try to engage people with online experiences while they're going through the NRR the reserve area, or do you find that they're actually they're actually trying to get them off, off the uh, off the digital and into the moment?
1: You no, know, it, it's very great for a, a pre-visit um, primer, and we often tell our clients that you know the experience starts long before you ever get to their site, and then we also you know for the folks as you asked um, uh, previous to this call about the the deep divers, that's a way to get all that additional information out to them. Um, where many people that are visiting don't want the depth that some of the more experienced folks want.
2: And you know, this is an evolving field right now, and, and, and I, you know, w- the, the technology is frankly moving faster than we are. Um, we, we now have the ability and we're just starting to roll it out because because cellular coverage is, is almost universal, uh, even in rural areas now. Um, We have the ability to provide in-depth interpretation via personal digital devices for people walking out on trails. So I wouldn't say we want to drive people to their devices. I think we would like to provide them with access to informational depth via their devices. It means we don't have to put signs up. It means we don't have to interfere with with the visual quality of the experience. And as Michael just said, they're able to go as deep as they choose to go into the content.
0: Yeah, and, and part of your job is to make them curious enough about where they are to want to know more.
2: Yeah. Exactly. exactly.
0: Is, is is you know speaking of different you know stories and deep divers and such, um, I'm going to guess that when you're putting together your, uh, uh, I guess your interpretive program for a site, uh, you come up with lots more ideas than ones you actually execute. How do you how do how do you figure? And first of all, assuming that's right, and correct me if I'm wrong. How do you know how do you know what stories to tell
1: it's totally right you know sometimes it's just a opportunity to you know sift through it all with the client sometimes you you know do evaluation with existing visitors or future visitors and just a variety of ways sometimes it's according to budget
2: well and Michael you said you mentioned the client I mean we, we, we're we're not the authors of these experiences. We are in with making our client's vision accessible and understandable and memorable. Um, so, uh, you know, the client is always a key player in making those decisions about what makes the cut. But, but the truth is that it's, it's like the old adage about, you know, packing for a long distance hike. You pack your pack full, then you take out everything you don't really need. Uh, and And that's the process. You know, we start out at the concept phase with way more stories than we could possibly tell. Um, and, and by the end, most of the time, we've taken out everything that isn't absolutely essential.
0: Have you over over time, have you realized that there are some basic setup stories that you need to tell at most sites of a similar type? That you know that you've actually gotten better at figuring out how to tell it quickly, efficiently, um, informationally, so that people can move on to what's unique about that site. I mean, are there some basic underlying things you try to try to do every time?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just talking about the the, the coastal facilities, um, you have to explain uh, what an estuary is over and over again uh, every time. Uh, and And what a wetland is, and why wetlands are important, and i I'd love to believe we figured out how to do it well, but we do seem to make it up new every time we do it. Um, but that's a baseline obligation. people don't don't know that stuff.
1: And also, you have to get the necessities out of the way before they'll even pay attention. You have to right. orient them to where they are. You have to take care of their hunger and bathroom needs and just make sure that all of that is taken care of, and then they'll focus on. Uh, what do you want to tell them? And if they
2: came looking for riding lessons, you have to send them off to find the stables. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or t- or tell them the horse just took
0: off into the field. And <laughs> maybe uh, maybe they can go get it for you. Yeah. The, um, uh, are, are there any places that you've been that you really wish you could have interpreted or you would love to take a crack at interpreting? You mentioned, you know, almost it sound almost almost as if you'd like to do another go round at Zion because you missed some things the first time.
2: But that we could go back to any—I well, shouldn't say this—we could probably go back to almost any place we've done a project 10-15 years later and do it all over again. Um, you know, we, we have the great good fortune of working often in beautiful and interesting places, and I, there, there are a lot that I'd like to go back to, and there are plenty that I'd love to have a crack at that. Um, you know, that we haven't uh, had the good fortune to be hired for yet.
1: Yeah, pretty much all the natural sites around the country and just make sure those lands are protected.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember explaining to somebody um, uh, oh, years ago that people don't go to visitor centers to figure out where to stay. Um, you know, we can do that all with our phones. You know, there's so much we can do with our phones. Or if there's two of you uh, in the car and, uh, you know, one person can be figuring out the logistics for the night, depending on how far you got that day, and the other one can be driving. And uh, in, and possibly in the future there won't be anyone driving either. Uh, so 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 as, as as times and technology change us, um, in, in in a in a case like that, do you um, uh, uh, do you think there'll be a time when we won't need interpretive centers, um, or where what are the information that you convey will be something that people will you know receive through their uh, Google glasses or something like that. Uh, through augmented reality,
2: I have long since gotten out of the business of speculating about the future. Um, my instinct is that people still like places. They like uh, they like to have a a physical gateway of some sort. It could be a building. It could be no more than a kiosk that marks the place they're going to. I mean, from from the ancient days of rock cairns, we have we have as humans tended to like physical markers of places. So my guess is that that will still be present in some form or another. But even now, the, the mechanism for delivering information is, is, has shifted. We're not putting up big graphic
1: panels. I think anymore. the personal interaction is also really um, necessary for someone that's really knowledgeable about the location.
0: Do, do, do you try to get people to interact with other parties when they're at a site, or is that going too far?
2: No, in, within their own party and with each other, communication and dialogue is what stimulates curiosity and sharing. It's not just telling stories; it's sharing stories.
0: because yeah, I, I would think in our increasingly sort of separated world, where we don't necessarily interact with people around us, and are encouraged to do so through screens, um, maybe uh, maybe you know forcing people through narrower pathways or something like that to actually you know come in contact with one another might be an objective here because that sort of emphasizes the idea that they are in a natural world where everything works with each other. Uh, and, and, the, the value of, uh, of, of all of, of all the uh, codependencies.
1: Yep. We might also create an interactive game that you're not necessarily doing with your own party, but with others in the room or on the site.
0: Um, have, have I asked, uh, have I not asked anything that you guys would like to touch on or, uh, you know, when it comes to places like what you design um, or your design philosophy?
1: Well, our design philosophy is really not to compete with the natural environment or with the live animal or anything that you're never going to be able to um, get someone's attention away from. So we want to uh, integrate what we do into the experience and make sure it doesn't overwhelm it but adds to um, your knowledge of a place.
2: Well, as you said, nobody ever comes to, uh, you know, nobody went to the Grand Canyon to visit the visitor center. Right. Uh, and and I, I think we respect that and recognize that. Our job is to enable uh, and encourage. Um,
0: let me uh, circle back then and ask if you guys would mind or wouldn't mind sharing your contact information one more time uh, for people that may have picked up the podcast uh, late in the game. You guys are?
1: Main Street Design, uh, Michael Mercadante and Tamar McFadden. And we can be found online at MainStreetDesign.com.
0: Thank you very much for your time today, guys, and uh, hope to uh, see you again sometime.